Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. I hope this week found you well. Um, hope everyone's doing doing good. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 if you want to turn your Bibles. It's going to take me a little bit to get there, but that's where we're going to dive in today. We're going to camp out in Acts in the beginning of the church. Uh, so uh, a little uh, behind the scenes on how I process and, and how I get um, from like a Monday afternoon to like a Sunday evening uh, teaching is really like a, a game of inches for me. So like I, I start with scripture, um, uh, general rule of thumb, great place to start, start with scripture, never write a sermon and find scripture to match it, always find scripture, dwell in it, the sermon will come. Uh, from that, that's a little tidbit if you ever want to start a church um, and preach. But don't, let's just grow this one. Um, so, uh, and usually like, it, I don't want to be over over dramatic, but it, it happens in like some 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 forms of revelation. Like, uh, scripture will come to me, stuff will, I'll have writing blocks. I have had some severe writing blocks in the past where it's been like, okay, it's, it's Thursday and I'm still, still pining. Um, but then other times it comes and it flows. And if you know me or if you've seen me around, I have notepads galore. I have pens on me all the time. When something comes, I write and, and that kind of stuff. And for me, uh, this, this, this sermon has weighed on me all week uh, in, in a really good way. So I view sermons as burdens and not in, in a cultural sense or in a modern day sense of it, it burdens me to preach to you. But there is, there is a truth that God puts on my heart that burdens me until I get to space, say it. Like until I get to stand before the people I've loved and the people I've been called to teach and the people I've been called to lead, it's this anxiety. I would equate it to like high school football, like all the practice and then you're just waiting for kickoff. Um, and and that, that's really how I view it. And especially this sermon uh, this week has really resonated with me since since probably Tuesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, and, and it's because it, it's going to surmount around the church. So we're going to continue in our identity series. Um, and, and why we do our identity series in the beginning of January and the beginning of the year is because we step into that space of where everyone already feels that tug to reorient themselves or to reorient their lifestyle, their health, their, 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 their finances, their family, um, their, their religious uh, goals, all of those things. We try to step into that space and say, hey, we want you to be the best version of yourself, but inside the confines of who God has called you to be. And we want to help you in that endeavor by helping you clearly identify yourself as a child of God. So at Trinity Church, we're always going to start with our identity. We're always going to start with love God. It's going to lead us to loving others, and it's going to help us land in making disciples. All of those things are always going to be true of God's church. They're always going to be true of Trinity Church. And then we're also going to just add on to that, like the church. So today we're going to talk about what is the church? Who who instituted the church? How does the church work? How does the church move and act? And, and, and what is the church? And for me, uh, it, it weighed heavy on my heart because there's so much beauty in that. The fact that uh, we, we, we started uh, God's local church a few years ago and we were able to kind of start it from nothing. So a lot of what we do has our DNA and our imprint. But in actuality, we're just fulfilling the call of God. God laid out a blueprint in Acts that we are still... Um, uh, we are still enacting today. We are not reinventing the wheel. If anything, I've joked a lot that when I took over, we became a boringer church. I'm a boring person. Like I enjoy uh, opening and just exegetically working through stuff. I've probably never flipped a switch in any of y'all's brain and been like, I didn't even know that historical fact. That's so crazy. Ah, it's been like, yeah, Tim, I kind of know it. Thanks for continuing to dwell on it. And that's just kind of guy I am. Like I'm just gonna just gonna hit you up with the truth that's been put on my heart. Uh, it's not gonna be 
anything crazy, but it's going to be truth. It's going to be gospel-centered messages. It's going to be gospel-centered study. Um, we're going to sing uh, corporately, and, and we're going to we're going to occasionally take communion together as the body of believers. And that's just what we have called ourselves to be. But I don't want us to ever mistake the fact that we are not reinventing the wheel, but we are following in the footsteps of the forebears of our faith. We are, we are enacting what God has called us to do. And he called the first church in Jerusalem in the, in the book of Acts as Luke denotes how they are living and how they are communicating and how they are communally living and how they live out their life isn't so much different than how we're doing it in 2019 in Dallas, Texas. And it's not by happenstance, but it's by faithfulness. So there's a group of faithful people in Acts that are living out God's will. And I am absolutely <laughs> elated to be a part of a faithful people in, in Oak Cliff, in Dallas, Texas, that are living out the same calling to the same God, but more importantly, for the same mission. Throughout this, throughout this sermon, the next sermon, every sermon I ever preach to you, every sermon that Jamin brings to you, I want you to remember that the mission never changes. You bring the lost to the throne of God. And we're going to continue to hit that up. We're going to see how that plays out and what that looks like. But that's been on my heart, mostly because I love y'all so much. I, I want to preach truth to the people that I love, but I think it's truth that we need. It's truth that we have to be continually reminded of. So as we continue through this uh, identity series, I want us to always understand that we are not educating for academic knowledge. Academic knowledge in of itself, just for academic knowledge, is trash, garbage, and a waste of time. But knowledge about your faith that spurs you on to live and and live out that faith is beautiful truth. So if I just teach you some cool things about the Bible and you go home and just say, that was cool and move on to the next thing, I failed you. And the Spirit can't move in that. But if we rest in our identity and that that knowledge of our identity spurs us on to, to live out our faith, spurs us on to bring the lost to the throne of God, spurs us on to proclaim gospel truth, then we are living inside the will of the God and the Spirit will move inside of that. And it's a beautiful thing. One of the first things I want us to know, because this is more of me just playing out some of my uh, Sunday school, like let's knock the dust off. Maybe I learned it in Sunday school, but it wasn't, wasn't true. You do not go to church. You are the church, right? That, that's, that's something we have to start off from, from day one. We have to understand that, that the church is a body of believers, a faithful person. In, in Greek, the word church is actually translated to ekklesia, and ekklesia means a called out assembly. And one of the things that I'm going to continue to harp on throughout today's sermon is that you are a called people. You are the body of believers. You are the bride of Christ. This room is the church. This just happens to be a building. We've met in other buildings. We may move in other buildings as, as God calls us, but we will continue to be Trinity Church because this room is the church. You're a called out assembly. You're a faithful brotherhood and sisterhood of believers. And there's peace in that. There is peace when you realize you've been called here and you're not doing your own bidding. There's, there's peace for me when I realize, hey, the pressure isn't all on me. Yes, you look to me for leadership, and yes, I pray I lead you well. But the pressure of what's going to happen, are people going to show up? Are they going to make professions of faith? Are they going to rededicate their life? That's not on me. That's on the Spirit. But you've been called here. You are not here on accident. No one here just happenstance their way into Trinity Church. This is a room full of faithful believers that God has called for a specific time, place, and purpose because the mission never changes. 
So the best thing to do when you're thinking about what is the church about, where did the church start and what we should do, we should always come back to Acts, right? That's the New Testament church. That's the birth of the church. If you want, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be verses 42 through 47. Before we stand and read, I'm just going to give you a little prequel to this. So Jesus has spent his 40 days on the earth after he rose from the grave. He's been teaching. He's been continuing his teaching with the disciples. He's been loving on his brethren. He just ascended. Um, uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit has now descended on the earth. He is, he is uh, dwelling and sustaining the brothers and sisters. Um, they are getting to work immediately. I think, I love it. Um, it the, one of the first things they do is replace Judas in Acts because it's, it's not a sign of like, uh, man, we're just super pissed at him, which they probably weren't super happy with him, but it was a sign to me. Every time I read it, they understand there's work to do and we've got to fill our ranks. It's a next man up scenario. Yes, we lost one of our brothers, but yes, Mathis is going to take over. He's going to fulfill that, and we're going to get to work to build God's local church. Right after that, you see one of my favorite things to look at is, is Peter, when he on the day of Pentecost, when he just starts railing. So Peter was a passionate preacher, and he liked to front people out. And one of the beautiful things that you can find in the book of Acts, if you read it in accordance with a gospel, so if you read a gospel and then transition uh, directly into Acts, you see gospel transformation. So if you read the gospel, so we just finished the gospel of Mark prior to uh, the book of Colossians, and we were in Mark for a long time. We were in Mark for like two years, Um, but I feel like we did it well, and I hope you remember some of it. So in Mark, you see constant failure and constant uh, weakness and constant, constant timidness from the disciples because they just weren't quite bought in yet. And you see through the death and resurrection of their Savior, for them seeing with their eyes the person they call teacher, the person they call rabbi, is now the person they call Savior. When they're able to connect those two things in their mind, and it's no longer academic knowledge, but it's biblical truth in their heart, you go from Peter denying God to Peter calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and saying, you murdered Christ, you murdered Him, but it's okay because He rose from the dead. He died so you'd have the opportunity to murder Him. He died for that sin, and now He is sitting at the right hand of God and he is our savior. And that's a beautiful thing that can captivate us because we see gospel transformation all throughout the Bible, but it's clear as day when we look at the end of a gospel and the beginning of the book of Acts. So they are getting to work. Peter just laid down uh, his sermon at Pentecost. He is, he is railing against the Pharisees and Sadducees for being the people who killed his Christ and he is proclaiming biblical truth. And as they're kind of winding up this big startup of the New Testament, there's this little passage that we're going to cover, verses 22 through 47, uh, 42 through 47, where it just kind of depicts a synopsis of what has just happened in the birth of the New Testament church. So if you would stand as we read, we're in, again, we're in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It'll be behind me. There are some Bibles around you. Whew, man, I'm getting amped. I got a red face and everything. <laughs> Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And it all came upon every soul, and many wondrous signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any needed. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us and let's dive into the scripture. 
God, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth that is the New Testament church. I'm, I'm thankful just for the men and women that came before us that, that said yes to your calling, said yes to the faithfulness asked of them. And because of that, I am able to call you king. God, I pray for the next few moments that we're able just to solely focus on our identity as the church, our identity as the, the, the sons and daughters, the, 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 the royal priesthood, the priesthood of believers, that, that we are your hands and feet and that we will act accordingly. God, I pray that the Spirit would come into this room and the Spirit would move. Amen. All right. So we've talked about it before, but it's really important to understand what kind of scripture you're, you're, you're studying when you break it down. Is it prescriptive or descriptive? So prescriptive is scripture that tells you how you need to live your life. It is prescribing to you how you need to live your life. And descriptive is more describing something that happened. So there are parts of the Old Testament that are purely descriptive. It's just describing historical fact. And there's a lot of parts of the New Testament, specifically Paul's letters, that are prescriptive. Paul, yes, is writing a a literal letter to a literal geographical church, but he's also prescribing to you how you need to live your life. When he says to live as Christ and to die as gain, yes, he wrote that to the church, but he also is saying that is how every person should live their life. He is prescribing to us that's how we live. The beautiful thing about Acts is the answer to those both questions is yes. Yes, this is, this is actual historical fact how the first New Testament church, the first church in Jerusalem, was living their life. This is an account of what they were doing, how they were using their, their goods for the, the common uh, growth of the gospel, but it's also a, a prescriptive way of how the church should live because the mission never Changes. We're going to get better at that. Remember, my New Year's resolution is to make it some of y'all acknowledge that I'm preaching about the gospel. <laughs> We're off to a better start. I will guilt you into amens if I have to. I am not ashamed. But thank you. I don't, that was more like an attack on me, but we're going to get through it. So this is a prescriptive and descriptive text. This is saying, yes, this is what the first church did, and yes, this is what the church of 2019 should do. That's the amazing beauty of the Scripture, is that it's inherent. It was written by a sovereign God that knew what the church of Jerusalem needed, and it knows what the church of Trinity, Church Oak Cliff, needs. And we're going to just follow that. You may read some of this and think, hey, we do that. And you know what? That's not us getting lucky. That's us following Scripture. So... Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayer. So they devoted. It's translated to submitted or to give over to. They said, we believe these things to be inherent truths. We believe these things to be the way that we need to live our life, and we give ourselves over to them. We don't just think they're good ideas. We don't just think, hey, this is a growth strategy, or, or we think this is a new way of doing stuff so it's cool and trendy. No, we think this is the biblical truth of what God has called us to live as faithful followers of his grace. So, so when we read this, you just say, we devote ourselves to this. We give ourselves over to this. We, we submit to the apostles' teachings. So the apostles' teachings were literally the gospel of Christ. Christ spent his earthly ministry educating and equipping these men and women. Uh, not there weren't apostles who were women, but they were followers. 
to, te- to understand his gospel, to understand his truth. He was the, the consummate teacher. He, he gave examples. He, he taught with parables. He lived the life that he was calling others to live. He was the consummate teachers. So the apostles were literally teaching what Christ had taught to them on his earthly ministries and then 40 days after his resurrection. All of that time comprised of the gospel of Christ, and they were teaching uh, the, the New Testament church, the ways of God. So they also gave themselves over to the fellowship, which is the sharing, participation, the doing life together. We do a lot of that. And I'll be honest, a pat on the back, we do that well. This room has come together in ways I have never seen people come together outside of divine providence from God. This room has carried each other's burdens. This room has cried together. This room has partied together. This room has watched each other's sick, sick kids together. One time, uh, the, the, this is not the best example, but this is the example that sticks in my mind as far as how do you do life together. Is and she may she may get on, this may be like a two part people getting mad at me, but it involves Casey Nelson and it involves the Stevens kids, and it just talks about how they came together and there was there was there was there was love and there was fiasco and they loved on each other. And there's so many times we have we have great stories where we say, hey, I I need you over here and you got to watch my kids, and you're like, hey. I'll be there. Or, or I, hey, hey, I, this, this tragedy has been bestowed upon me, and I need you here because I can't walk this alone. Or, hey, even better, hey, this amazing thing has happened, and I want someone to celebrate with. So through the valleys or, or through the mountaintops, we're there together. There's a loyalty. There's a family. There's a code there that is what is fellowship, that is doing life together, the good and the bad. And that's one of the trickier things about a church our size or a church that devotes itself to a family group ministry is because you can't shy away. You have to lean into the trueness of yourself. Because I can fake it from 5 to 6 on a Sunday night. I think I'm good enough that I can, I can have my world crushing down around me. But if you ask me, I can give you the two thumbs up and I can say I'm doing just fine. I can fake it for an hour. I may be able to fake it for an hour or two. But you catch me on a Wednesday night when I'm up to my neck with work. I'm having constant anxiety attacks because God's called me to grow a local church, which is insanity. Guys, I am a detective in child abuse and this is just my hardest job. Um, but you catch me then, or you catch me uh, uh, hanging out with the guys on Sunday morning, or if you catch uh, one of the ladies at a women's Bible study or whatever, there, you can't fake it that long. There's going to be messiness. There's going to be dirt. There's going to be awkwardness. There's going to be gossip. There's going to be men bone up to men. There's going to be people not agreeing with each other, but that's okay because that's the messiness of life. That's the fellowship of the believers to say, hey, I know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. Let's do life. Life together. And they also broke bread. So this was a literal breaking of bread where they would continue the act of communion. They would continue the, the institution that Christ laid out in the Lord's Supper. But they also ate together. This culture is a little different than ours today because eating with someone doesn't have the high, uh, the high um, honor that it does then when you broke bread with somebody who's a big deal, when you brought them into your house, when you, when you took them under your wing, under your refuge, under your protection, and you provided meals for them or pro- provided sustenance for them. That was a huge deal. Nowadays, it's a little less because you go out to eat and they don't come into your house. But it's still an amazing thing when you bring someone into your home and they eat food you made for them. There's an intimacy there that you can't recreate at Chipotle. There's an intimacy there that can't be created. When you say, I want you to see my house, I'm going to throw everything into a closet, but 
It's still going to look clean, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook food for you better than I've ever cooked for my family for the rest of the week, and I want to do life with you. I want you to come over. I, when I say, hey, how are you doing, I, I generally care about the answer. And that's a beautiful thing that Trinity Church has always done well. I, I've done church all my life, and I've told people I'm doing great all my life, and I didn't get called out on that until I came here. I didn't get called out on that and someone say, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You look horrible. <laughs> so uh, I, had, I had a rough week um, this week as far as the world to sleep. So I didn't sleep a lot this week, and this is why it's either going to go really short or really long. Um, time will tell. Um, and, uh, and, and I had people check on me and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Nah, like your wife said you pulled like a 40-hour day. So how are you really doing? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm thrashed. I'm done. Like, I got nothing left. It was to the point yesterday where I was going to do a video pumping up this sermon, and my wife said, so we're either going to have to get you some eye drops and some le- uh, chapstick, or we're just not, we don't need to do a video. And that's what a decade of marriage will do, because she meant that with love. She didn't, she, she understood it was a rough week. Um, uh, general rule of thumb, if I'm having a rough week, there's a kid having a rougher one, so you just kind of bow up and get it done. But she, with love and with people around me inside this room, she said, hey, We'll do a video later about another worship, about another service. Let's not do one today. And you're like, I gotta get home and get some eye drops and some lip chat. <laughs> so um, they also dedicated themselves to prayer, which I feel like that can that gets over over said and underdone, over explained, under committed to all the time. The fact that they actually got down on their knees and they prayed for discernment, they prayed for the will of God to be known, they prayed for the growth of their church, they prayed for the growth of the gospel. Because here's the best growth strategy Trinity Church will ever hear, and it's the growth strategy that brought a small home church in Jerusalem to the biggest undertaking in the world that is Christianity, it was these tenets. It was the fact that they had, they, they wanted prayer. They actually cared about something so much it brought them to their knees and they prayed about it. And here's the truth about prayer. If, you, if what you think you care about hasn't brought you to your knees in prayer, you actually don't care about it. If what you are saying you're about or what you're saying you want to be about hasn't brought you to constant prayer, then you don't want to be about it. In verse 43, and all came above them. So there's a difference between the Spirit being in you and the Spirit being upon you. It's a very literal translation thing that we don't have time to debunk. But the Spirit is in every believer. The, the Spirit to give you power to do some of the things they were do is, is more of a Spirit upon you. We can flush that out at a later date. But there were some crazy, beautiful things happening in, in the church at that time. And it's not supposed to weak you out. It's not supposed to freak you out. I know 2019, we were non-denominational but that really just means we're like half Baptist. And when we start saying the Spirit's moving, you're like, Tim, if you do a backflip or start talking in Arabic, and we know you don't speak Arabic, we're all leaving. I don't care what it means. No, I'm saying there were beautiful things happen. The Spirit came about them and upon them and gave them powers to profess the gospel, profess the truth, and grow the local church. The Spirit has come in this room. I've seen the Spirit move in this room. I've seen the Spirit move in the life of this church, and He's done it for the growth of this church. So don't worry. It's happened to us. I just haven't done a backflip yet. Uh, I'm never doing a backflip. That's not it. <laughs> so they had all things together. So they lived life together. They had all things in common and they were selling their possessions. This is not the birthplace, birth, 
This is not the birthplace of biblical communism. This is a voluntary communal lifestyle saying our possessions, our, our, our ideas, our stuff all come secondary to the growth of the church and the spread of the gospel. We have all things in common. That didn't mean there were a bunch of groupthink going on. Everyone in here is uh, on the same page when it comes to the gospel of Christ. But other than that, it's a very different room. It's a, he agrees, whoever that was. Uh, it's a very different room. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong for us to all have different jobs, different ideas, different uh, vibes, whatever have you. It's okay as long as we never lose sight of the fact that whatever binds us together, which is the love of Christ, is stronger than anything that could ever tear us apart because the mission... Never I'm going to throw something at you. <laughs> every one of you knew what was coming next, and every one of you was like, and... So when I say the mission, from here on out, you say never changes. Like, I didn't feel like we had to make flashcards, but we're going to do it. So, um, but they were living life together. They understood that what their calling, what their purpose, their desire to grow God's church came first. And everything else found its own place in its own way. What bound them together was stronger than anything that could tear them apart. Paul writes about this in Philippians when he's encouraging people to strive together side by side. There's a beautiful unity there. And I realize we're very different, and that's, that is a calling, that is a beauty. The fact that if there was all a bunch of Tims in here, no one would ever shut up, and we would never get anything done, and we wouldn't be able to work any of this technology, that would be horrible. But the fact that there are a lot of people different than us means I get to talk, which is great, I love it, and that we actually have a computer that works. So God has called each and every one of you to this room with your differences, with your, with your abilities, with your callings, understanding that your, your one true calling is to pursue the growth of the gospel, but you will do that in different ways. And they continue to break bread and they continue to praise God, which is just open corporate worship, which we do beautifully. Thank you, Kelsey and Adrian, for leading today. And lastly, but most beautifully, people were being saved. It would be a really weird passage if at the end of it, it just said, and things kind of worked out okay. No, if you follow God's tenets, if you say, if God professes this is how you do it, by adhering to his teaching, to living life together, to breaking bread together in prayer, and if you follow and you're faithful, people will come to know their Savior. Amen. Thank you. That was a good part. So what does that mean for us today, though, right? Like, we get it. Those are all good tenets. We do all of those things. So we have family groups. We break bread. We pray together uh, corporately. We pray together with family groups. Um, we, we, we have communion. Um, we're going to do communion tonight, and we adhere to the gospel of Christ. So, like, Tim, we've done it. Good talk. See you next January. And some of that's true. Some of that you will see me next January. We're going to reaffirm this. But I want us to understand the beautiful uh, Realization of what happens when we apply these tenets that we already know we're doing, but intentionally walk them out in our life. Because there's an intimacy here when you understand that you are the church. There's an intimacy here when you understand these things that have been prescribed to you as the church is actually a, a microcosm of how you live your life. The church can't do this. If you understand what the church actually is, like steeple, but it's actually the people. Like, uh, <laughs> if you're the church, Trinity Church can't do this unless you're doing it. I'm, I'm not calling you out to say this is our growth strategy. This is something the board voted on. This is something the, the staff thinks we should do. I'm saying, no, God's called this out for each and every one of you in an individual manner, in an individual way, to play out how it looks in your 
life. Because we can't get on board for the growth of the gospel. We can't get on board to take this city over for the biblical truth that we know it needs until we understand we are the bride of Christ. In Ephesians, uh, Paul writes this beautiful description of marriage and the church, marriage and the church, because there's, there's there's a simpatico there. There's a, hey, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ is the, or the church is the bride of Christ. There's this beautiful intimacy that Paul writes because it's easy to describe to the the average person to say, you know that relationship you have with your wife, that there is no one closer, there's no one you care more about, there's no one you've been called to lead with a more intimate manner than your wife? Yeah, that's Christ in the church. That we are the sons and daughters of Christ. We are the hands and the feet. If there's anything that is going to be done for the cause of Christ, it will be done by the church. If there's any radical change in society, if there's any good that is going to come from society, it's going to come by the Spirit through the church. There's an order to things that we have to get our mind right with or nothing's ever going to work. We are called to be a gospel-centered church. I've spent more tonight than I have spent in the first two years I've preached in you. I don't know what's going on, but this is all just pretty gross. We are called to be a gospel-centered church. I'm telling you, I've been wanting to preach this since Tuesday night, and none of y'all were here, so I had to just wait. I told we had one of our, our children workers were sick, and she's like, should I come? We're like, no, you're a children's worker. Stay home. Nothing but love for you. But just get away. I got two, and one of them gets sick. Everybody gets sick for six months. Um, so I told Joe, I was like, hey, uh, you got to go upstairs. That's like being the pastor's wife thing. Like, you're always on deck. She was like, awesome. I've already heard this sermon 11 times. I'm good. And so she went upstairs. I've, been, I've, saved my, I've laid my couch to uh, salvation at least 15 times. <laughs> so gospel-centered churches bring about gospel-centered change. And there's a, there's a reconciliation there. There's, there's a beautiful healing process that can happen when you understand you're the agent of change for the gospel. When you understand there's no one else. Like a lot of times we think, Tim, great idea. Can't wait for the guys you're actually preaching to to do it. Man, is this city going to look more and more like the kingdom of God? Here's the thing. I'm talking to literal you. I know all of your first and last names, most of you. Um, and, And I'm talking to you. You are a commissioned people. You're a called people. Jamin did an amazing job last week of laying down what it is to make disciples, talking about, hey, you have to do the hard thing. You have to lean into the tension. You have to lean in to the hardest version of life that God has called you to do. But the, the beauty of that scripture is it's called the great commission. commission. You're being commissioned. You're being called. You don't have an option. Anytime your savior, savior commissions you to do something, it's a really good idea just to do it. He is calling you to live a life of faithful work. So the church has some beautiful imagery, though. There's, there's, there's a beauty in baptism, right? There's a beauty in an outward profession of an inward faith. We don't, we don't prescribe to thinking the water has any special powers. I don't think you're going to be able to, to, to have any special powers uh, prior to being going in the water or after the last time we used water. is actually just Jamin's pool. So, like, or thanks, Hillary and Jamin. But, like, we, we know that pool. We've hung out around that pool a lot. That, that water has no special powers in of itself. But there is a powerful, 
powerful movement when you when you submerge yourself and come up uh, a believer and, 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 and a person saved again and saying, because of this, this imagery, because of this outward uh, showing of an inward faith, I am, I am now committing, I'm now rededicating my life to a truth that is that is laid out. Christ did that as one of his first things on earth as when he kicked off his earthly ministry was baptism. Another beautiful imagery that the church brings out is the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the Lord's Supper tonight where we talk about it's just a reminder of what Christ has done for us. It started off as the Passover and then he transitioned it into communion where he says, hey, you know what I have done for you. Here's something that I am going to do for you. And it's all always about the, the provision of Christ. It's always about the provision of God. Where these two these two institutions of imagery inside the New Testament church that are always supposed to orient ourselves back to the gospel. It's always supposed to orient ourselves back to being a gospel-centered church. We we didn't just happen into these ideas, or Christ didn't just pick two random imagery moments for us to do from here until the, until God calls us home. No, He knew that we were a people that needed the reminder, that needed the outward profession of an inward faith. We're people that needed a reminder of, of His bones being broken and His blood being shed because those bones and that blood atone for us and through that atonement the city that we live in can be changed the people that we love we can know in heaven we can bring the sons and daughters we can bring our sons and daughters to the throne of Christ because we are the local church that understands what he's done and understands what he's going to do and he's going to do it through us you can never lose sight that you are a called people for a place and a time you have been called for North Oak Cliff. You have been called for Dallas. I don't want to limit us. You have been called to North Texas and the world. I don't know where your reach stops. I pray it, reach, it knows no bounds. But wherever you are at, wherever your influence is, wherever you're able to, to speak truth, you speak truth in the gospel. You are called for a time. You've been called for 2019 to grow this local church. There were a lot easier times than now for you to do so out and you didn't do so out. So I'm going to assume you're all ride or die. And I'm going to hold you to that. And the beauty of that is you know who you've partnered with. You know that what we're about and what we're about uh, to accomplish for the cause of Christ. There are beautiful things happening here. There's like a vibe in this room. There's a vibe around Trinity Church that there is the Spirit taking over and the Spirit is moving. There is a resurgence of energy. There's a double down in faith. There's a double down in people saying, hey, this is where I want to call home and I am excited to see what Christ is going to do. Because the society we live in needs the church. I need the church. I need you guys. Some of you need me. Some of you not as much, but it's cool. Just keep me around. But the world we live in needs the church. Sorry. The world we live in needs the church because the world we live in is broken and it needs the entity of Christ to speak truth to it. This week rocked the Roundtree House. So uh, if, if you haven't got on social media in the last week, uh, let me f- inform you. So, um, uh, there was a, a big deal that really hit the core of the pro-life movement this week coming out of New York, where New York has now legalized abortion up until the point of birth out the birth canal. Um, 
And uh, I love my wife and I love her passion and uh, I love everything about her. So she is a woman who was born to a, a, a courageous, strong, beautiful woman um, who uh, at a very, very young age out of wedlock and would have not been thought twice in, at that time for her to say, this needs to go another way. Um, and I think because of that truth, uh, one, I held my mother-in-law in the most highest regard, and uh, the the topic of abortion is always going to hit a little harder home to my wife. And two, my wife is a NICU nurse, so she has held plenty of 21 to 23-week-old babies and slowly but surely nursed them back to health. So... Um, she came in, and I knew that this, this, this topic had busted on social media and in the news. I'm not a huge social media guy, but I do know current events. I knew it was a big hit. I knew it was going to be a topic of, of debate, and mostly it needs it need to be a topic of where does the church stand on it. And she came in and said, hey, so I kind of did something. You may want to see social media. Um, uh, let me know like if you think I should have taken it down. I'm like, oh, when did you post it? So it was actually two days ago, and it's actually, um, I didn't think it was going to get the, the traction it did. And I'm like looking on, I'm like, oh no. Because we've had these before. I'm like, oh, this is not great. And she gets on the end and just, I've never been more proud where she just beautifully spoke truth into a very, very complicated system. But it, 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 or a complicated topic. But it, it's a topic that we have to understand. And when I say we are a gospel-centered church and we are a gospel-centered uh, people, um, we have to be about the truth. And you can't stand for the truth if you don't know the truth. And that's really the whole idea behind the identity series. We want you to stand firm in your identity with Christ, but we also understand you can't do that if you don't know your identity with Christ. So to say that Trinity Church is a pro-life church would be a vast understatement. We are absolutely um, of the belief that every life has intrinsic worth. From the moment of conception, that person, that, that, that boy or that girl has intrinsic worth because of the belief we have in the Imago Dei. The fact that that person was made and formed in the image of God. Yes. But here's another side of it that, you don't, that, that, that the, the church has swung and missed on for a long time. We believe in the Imago Dei, period. So I don't know the women's story in this room. And I don't know the men's story in this room. And I don't know if, if you've had an abortion in your background. I don't know if it, it's touched your family or if it's touched you personally. But I can tell you this, this is not a room for shame. Yeah. This is a room for love. Yeah. The church absolutely loves you because we're pro-life and you're a human. And I can tell you right now, God didn't call you into this room to shame you. God called you into this room to redeem you. Amen. And no matter what you've done in your past, God is here for you. No matter what you've done in their past, Trinity Church is here for you. Yes. Too many times we've lost sight of the fact that, that we are going to, uh, we're going to claim that we are pro-life but refuse to redeem the side effects of someone who may have made a mistake and not, not landed in the where they wanted to on the side of abortion. And I'll be honest with you, some of the stuff that's happening around our country blows my mind. The difference in the, in, in the womb and the birth canal is the difference between abortion and capital murder. 
like some of the stuff that is happening in other uh, states and, and their view on abortion in Texas would literally be the definition of capital murder. And the, the, the sad part is this is not a political statement. I'm not up here telling you how to vote and I'm not up here telling you who to vote because the, the idea that life is intrinsically valued or the idea that, that life is important is not a political statement. It's a theological statement. Yes. We have to own it. We have to say, no, we believe all, all life is worth something. All life is redeemable, no matter what you've done or where you come from. And through, from that biblical truth, the rest of your life can trickle down. And it, 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 it tears me up. I, I have a, I'm a child abuse detective, so my job occasionally takes me to the abortion clinic. And I can tell you right now, I've spent many a time in the lobby or in the back, shoulder to shoulder with women who are about to or just had abortion. And I can promise you the lies that are being spewed right now that this is a women's rights thing or this is an empowerment thing. I've never met one person about to or have had an abortion who looked like she was being empowered or loved on. I've never seen one place where I thought this is a place of hope. This is a place of women's right. This is a place of strength. No, it's a, pra- a place of brokenness. It's a place of debauchery. It's a place of just pure evil. But guess what? That's where we step into. Amen. That is what we've called ourselves to be. Because we can't just be the truth when it's easy. And we can't just be the truth when it's clean. But we have to be the truth when someone comes to us and says, I've either had this done or I'm about to do it. And you say, don't, and we love you, and we will provide for you, and we'll sustain you. We can't just say, don't do it, because we're pro-life. Good luck. Because that's what we've done in the past. And I promise you, as long as I am able to lead this church, if you come along somebody that needs help, this church is going to help them or go broke trying that we have been called to be the church. We have called, been called to spit out with every fiber in our being gospel truth. And what that means is we're going to come alongside people in the darkest despair of their life. And we're going to say, I love you. Your creator loves you. And your God wants to redeem you. Yes. Amen. And it's hard to see most of you because I've been crying for like five minutes. But here is the thing. That's what church is. Church isn't clean and church isn't pretty. And if it is, it ain't church. There are, one of America's problems right now today is we have a lot of buildings and people who think they're the church. They just refuse to do anything that has to do with actually being the church. And that has to stop. Here in a sec, we're going to do communion. And I love communion. I love the idea of, of, of the breaking of the bread and, and the, the drinking of the juice. I love the imagery. I love the idea that it's just a constant reminder that I'm going to reset my week by walking down this aisle and, and, and partaking in the sacrament. And I'm going to say, hey, this is what was done for me, so I need to act accordingly. God died for me, so I need to die to myself for someone else. But another thing I love about communion is we get in a line and we get shoulder to shoulder. We get, there's a line of brotherhood and sisterhood here that I get to see. There's people behind me that are on the same page and there's people in front of me that are on the same page because we are called together and the mission does not change. The idea doesn't change. Our God has never changed and the way we're going to love people will never change. Amen. I'm going to pray over us. It's going to be short because I'm doing that ugly cry face thing. Um, uh, they're going to come up and lead us. The Houghtons are going to come up, read a, uh, a brief uh, uh, scripture, just trying to orient our heart to communion. And what we believe here in communion, we practice that this is for the, the, the body of believers. So if Christ is your king, then this is for you. 
If, if Christ is not your king, I pray you would not leave this building without talking to me or, 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 or a staff member or just some other person that we may walk alongside you until you call Christ your king. Let me pray. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for your truths. Thank you for the sanctity of life. God, I pray that we are able to be the agent of change in, in a time that the world feels upside down. God, I pray we're able to walk alongside people who need your love uh, regardless of where they are in that decision. I pray that we're able to to love and guide them away uh, from a mistake and we're able to love and guide them after a mistake. God, I'm not perfect. This room isn't perfect, but they are faithful and they are waiting to hear your, your will and your call. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen. Amen.